2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to continue our, uh, convert, our study here on uh, the Grace Reset. And uh, really, I'm going to pick up here in verse 12 where we kind of left off last time. Uh, we have been down through. We saw the Great Reset. That's kind of where we introduced this idea. Then we went and looked at God, what saith the Scripture. Then we looked at the real you, how you're designed to function, your makeup, and how God's Word impacts that. Then we talked about building the strong believers, and we, we, we laid out the, the issues of godly edification. And then we kind of moved in and looked at about who we are in those, those five parts, uh, a, a, a gospel you can believe, a Bible you can trust, a study you can understand, and a life you can live, and a purpose you can fulfill. Now, we're going to go back and look into each one of those uh, in, in greater detail. And then we went and introduced the grace life to you. And in the issue of the grace life, we then looked at, in our life, we have to have the final authority. And that is, for us English-speaking folks, that King James Bible. Then we looked at the will of God and how that's knowable. It's made known. It's not a mystery. It's not secret. It's not kept secret. It's been revealed. And then we looked at how God works. And we touched on the issues of interventioning and chastening and back and forth there. And then last time we were together, we looked at how prayer works. And, and I did that with that issue of understanding prayer. is just simply talking to the Father. And, and so this morning, I want to look at the sufficiency of God's grace because of what the answer to Paul is here in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And I want to just look at this, in a, in a, and again, we're tree-topping this. We're not down in the weeds. And again, my, my goal in all of this is just to reset our thinking. And then subsequently, we'll get down in some of the weeds and some of it. But if you'll notice in, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, and, and, and lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. So Paul, here's a supplication. Supplication is a very specific thing. Prayer is a general idea. Lamentations, he says, pour out your heart unto the Lord. So in prayer, when we pray together, to, when we pray, by the way, audible, out loud, some of you guys almost start calling on you to pray, <laughs> to open the service. Why? Because what happens is, is, What's inside of you is now what's coming out of you. So if you're, you know, that's the issue. Don't worry. He's going to pick me. I, I'm not going to go. I, you just, I'll talk to you, okay? So if I don't talk to you, that doesn't mean I don't like you and I don't think you can. It's just I don't want you on the spot, okay? Everybody relax. Calm down, okay? All right? Because usually when you say that, everybody's ducking. Now everybody walk in at 5 after 11, you know, instead of on 11. But the point is, is when you pray, that's all you're doing. In Romans 8, he says, we don't know how to pray. Why? We're just learning. We're just growing. We're just getting going. And then in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, he lays out those five of his prayers and, on what maturity and how maturity is going to pray. And, and, you know, I think about like with, I mean, Bruce and Susie are down and others get sick. How do you pray for people who are sick? Because what do we know? We know God's not healing them. We know that. Why? Because Scripture is going to tell us that. So the answer, what are we looking for? That the peace of God will keep our hearts and minds. So we're, we begin to pray the doctrine. You begin to, hey, you know, yeah, you pray for the, 
the steady hand of the surgeon. I get that. But you also just praise the Lord that if you are to die, were to die, where would you go? To glory. And you can rest in that, in that issue. And you can have a different mindset. I remember when my dad was diagnosed with, with cancer and he didn't fall apart. And his, his mom and him both retell it. And, and the doctor was shocked because what does the doctor see when you say cancer? Fall apart. Ah! And, and they didn't. They just said, okay, well, how long and what do we do? And very calm. Why? Because we know that the outward man does what? Perishes. See? And the inward man is renewed. Now, it's a shock to the system. Don't get me wrong. We're not heartless or callous. But you're not, you don't have that overreaction of fear and trepidation. Paul three times goes to the Lord and says, Would you remove this messenger, this thorn? Verse 9 is the answer. And he said unto me. So what is the word of, the, of God? What is the word of the Lord? What does the scripture say to Paul? My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now that's the answer. So Paul's mindset was on the thorn and the woe is me and the, and the trouble. And God reorientates his mindset to where? Not the trouble, but to my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. He takes Paul's mind and he moves it away. His thinking, he, he takes it and he moves it from the problem. And he puts it on the sufficiency of God's grace. So then the question is, as well, is God's grace sufficient? Well, obviously, God thinks it is. Because he just said it to Paul. He's saying it to you and I. So if you say, well, I don't think it is, then who are you arguing with? You're not arguing with me. You're arguing with God. Because what does God say? My grace is sufficient. For my strength is made perfect where? In weakness. So we have to adjust our thinking about weakness because, by the way, what is most, what, how does mankind look at being weak? We don't want to be weak. We want to be what? Strong. I've been watching on the television this series. Uh, it's on the Smithsonian about the Pacific War in color. And they were talking about Japan and how Japan was attacking in, in the early episodes. And there was like 7 million of these tro of J Japanese troops all over the Pacific area, all those islands. And I, what were they demonstrating? We're not what? Weak. And then they're looking at the American military who looked very weak because they were. They, weren't, they had no idea. Of, I mean, they have the aircraft carrier. I just had the name of it. Anyway, it was too short to launch the big bomber planes that they needed. See? Well, that's weakness. But we can't look weak, you know, and the president gets up and gives his greatest day in infamy and all that speech. Why? Because we can't look weak. Paul, you need to look weak because it's in your weakness, in the moment when you can't move forward, that my grace becomes the sufficiency that you need. My grace is, what I, is, is all that you're going to need. That's why Paul in that verse will go on, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. 
For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul has reoriented his thinking to my gra- God's grace is sufficient. And I know what happens is, is when you talk about the word grace, or, oh, God's riches at Christ's expense. and That's not enough. That's actually too weak of an expression. It's not saying enough about God's grace. You see, God's grace is all that God is free to do for you because of the finished work of His Son at Calvary. And the fact that you are in His Son, His grace now comes on you. You see, grace is much more than God's riches at Christ. It's deeper than that. It gets down into the very belly of you, of your inner man. Come over to Romans chapter 4. And and again... You have to, when you think about my grace is sufficient, it either is or it isn't. There's no gray area. There's no middle ground here. It's all the way. So the great, His grace is all that God is free to do for you because of Calvary, the finished work, and what He brought to a conclusion for us. His grace, Romans 4, verse 4 now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckon of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The only response that grace will ever accept is the response of faith. So when God's word says, forgive, by the way, we'll talk about forgiveness. When he says, do this, don't do that, what is faith going to do? Do this or don't do that. Then his grace becomes what? Sufficient. It becomes everything. It becomes the center of all of our lives. And if you go work and try to work on something, guess what it's going to do? Well, you're in Romans 4. Look at Romans 11. Just just a few pages over. What is grace going to do? If you go work, if you go try to work this out, what's grace going to do? He's going to sit down. It's going to be voided. Romans 11, verse 6, And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. You see, they're oil and water. They don't mix. So I'm over here trying to do stuff in, in my energy of my own flesh, trying to do. Grace just sits down and says, okay, dummy, when you're done, I'll get to work. He just It's not going to work. It's not going to move. So when you are frustrated and you don't think God's grace is working, it's because you're trying to do something in the energy of you. When you're weak, what am I? You're strong. That's why Paul says... My infirm- I'm going to glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ, the power of God's grace can come in and rest on me. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So when we talk about God's grace, we're not talking about some mystical hoodly do thing out there. We're talking about reality. We're talking about some uh, a, a, a component of who you are in Christ coming in because of the finished work at Calvary, coming in and energizing you and moving you through the difficult times, but also through the good times. I think sometimes in the good times we don't say thank you enough to our Father, our Heavenly Father. Why? Well, it's good times, and we're only looking for the bailout in the bad times. 
Paul's like, no, you don't do that. You do it at all times. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. That's the verse. But the context is the issue of giving. The context goes back up into chapter 8. There, verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of forward, the forwardness of others, to prove the sincerity of your love. The sincerity of, prove your, your love. How much do you love this message? You're going to prove that, demonstrate that in the issues of giving. That's why in verse 7, he says, Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. How much do you appreciate what we're doing here? How much do you appreciate God's grace and the message that's going to be reflected in giving? Okay? Now, by the way, if you look there at 8-9, here's the motivating point. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through poverty might be what? Man, the riches of who you are in Christ. He says, look, you know what motivates you? What ought to motivate your giving? What ought to motivate you to be, well, chapter 9, verse 7, a, a cheerful giver is understanding that he was rich, he became poor, and he did it for you so that you could be rich. He was made to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made righteous. Look at what he's doing. Now, not everybody preaches that message. So you find the church that does, you get in, and you support. Why? Because it's the work. So what's motivating you? Not the preacher saying, hey, there's, you know, give, 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 give. You know, the men will come and we'll pass, pass the plate for the third time this morning because the first two weren't enough. None of that. It comes from an understanding that what God's grace is, what? Sufficient. And who's preaching that? And who's teaching that where I can go and be a part of it? But look at verse 8, 9, 8. Notice the and. He loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Isn't that interesting? When you have the proper mentality about giving, grace giving, coming out of verse 6 and 7, actually out of chapter 8, 9, and, and over into 10, when you have the proper understanding about grace giving, what is God able to do to you? Verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. He's able to make all. Isn't that interesting? Grace abound towards you. that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. A component of the good work is the giving. Giving is a good work that we should be doing. But notice how connected here to a proper understanding of he was rich and he became poor so that I could be rich. And man, what a message and what a way I want to be. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come over here and, and Southwest is doing it and boom, and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give until so that we can carry on that message and get it out. Why? Because what is God able to do then? He's going to make all grace. Now, this isn't saying that because you're not giving, you don't have all grace. Not all sufficiency. He's not saying that. He's saying it's what? All together. Come back in chapter 8. 
Look back up, if you will, at verse number 5, talking about the churches of Macedonia. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of... See what they first do. They gave themselves to who? To the grace of God, to the sufficiency of it. They, they're in it, all sufficiency. His grace has completely and totally equipped us to live as who we are in Christ. His grace also, by the way, back there in 9.8, sufficiency. Able to stand alone, lacking nothing. Do you know that God has established you? He's blessed you. He's made you complete so that you literally can stand alone. You can stand on your own. You're lacking nothing. That's fantastic. What, how rich you are. To know that, you know what I can do on my own? I can stand here and I'm lacking nothing. Hold on, uh, flip back to Acts 20. Acts chapter 20. Over the last weekend, we spent a, a, quite a bit of time in Acts 20. I, I back up there in verse 24, but down in verse 32. You see, His Word, His grace... It's totally, com completely and totally equipped you. Verse 32, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Two things there. What's His grace going to do? Build you up, establish you out, equip you. You learn your equipping. You go in, you get the job. Come over to Colossians 2. You, you know, your first day on the job, I, I was talking with Keith, and we're talking about welding. So here's an equipment list. You got, boom, you got to get this. Why? For protection. If you don't have it, you can go blind. You can hurt yourself. You can do all this other stuff. You've got an equipment list here. He's going to do what? He's going to build you up. And, see, there's some more to this than just, okay, I know right division, and da 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 da, -da and I can make this and that. Now it's going to come into, and an inheritance. When you inherit something, what do you know? You belong into the family, don't you? You belong deeper. We had a family meeting on Monday night. <laughs> you know, dad, mom sat and said, here's our trust, here's our wills, here's everything, the paperwork and so forth. Here's how you get in the safe. Here's how you do this. Everybody over the weekend thought we were going to put dad in a home, you know, family meeting. You know, my mom probably wishes we did, but, you know, how that goes from time to time. But the thing is, is we had a family meeting. You know who was in the meeting? Me and my, the family. Me and my brothers and my wife and my youngest brother's wife. That was it. Nobody else. You weren't invited. Why? You're not in the family. But if I have an inheritance, then who am I? I'm in the family, aren't I? I belong there. The lawyer calls and says, hey, so-and-so, your, your dad died. It's time to get together. We've got to do this. And so not only am I built up in who I am in Christ, but I belong to the family. I'm supposed to be there. So I learn about that, and I get His grace and His word, and it works in me, and I begin to understand, this is who I am. I'm a member of the family, and look at the provisions. Colossians 2, verse 6, he says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. And that, the faith there, that's the doctrine. That's not your faith in it. It's the doctrine that was given to Paul. 
as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Build it up. Ha, a walk of faith. If you come back to Ephesians 4, where he talks to here to us in our duty section of Ephesians. In the doctrinal section he's dealt with in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now in chapter 4, 5, and 6, he deals with our duty. And he says there in chapter 4 and verse 15, he says, But speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even in Christ. It's all been made known. All, he's abounded toward us, chapter 1, in all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. It's all there. The prudence of it, it's there. What do we got to do? We got to go build it in. It's there. God, when we take God's grace in, we take His Word in, it begins to, well, chapter 3, verse 16, it strengthens with might by His Spirit in the inner man. You go back there in chapter 4, verse 23, renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans 12, what are we doing? We're renewing our minds. We're getting it all back in. Why? Because we don't, we're human. Somebody has, you know, that's why I got notes, you know. Somebody told me over the weekend, yeah, yeah, you've been around this long enough, you probably don't need notes. I go, oh, no, I need notes. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm over here and over there and everywhere. No, why? Because, because you can't remember it all. Last hour, we were talking about the doctrine of intercalation, and I probably needed another hour on that, and we'll get there. But the thing is, why? You've you got to have the notes. Otherwise, you're all over the place. Why? Because we're human. We're constantly having to do what? Renew the mind. Colossians chapter 2. Flip over there. So is God's grace sufficient? Oh, yes, it has totally equipped you. He says, here's my word. I've given you my word. Then he says, here's my will. I've made that known. I would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were doing the will of God. You didn't know it. You're just trying to save yourself from hell in the lake of fire. That's all you're doing, and I, that's a legitimate thing. <laughs> then he says, I, I got a study here for you to, to learn who you are in Christ. And the life that I've now given you, Romans 6 over there, we're dead, with sin, dead from sin, but we've been, we have the newness of life, his life, resurrection life, eternal life. We have it, and we're to go live in that. In Colossians 2, you know the verse, verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Man, you're complete in him that dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You're complete in the guy in the head, the CEO, the top guy. Later on down, he'll, he'll talk about, or I'm sorry, earlier in chapter 1, he talks about the preeminence, that he might have the preeminence. He's the top guy. You're not down here in the, in the lower level management. You're up in the top guy. And you know what he says? I made you complete in me. Wow. Think about that. Your completeness rests in the one that will never let you down, that will never fail you, that will never reject you, well, that will never disappoint you. That's where your identity is. That's where your sufficiency is. And when he looks at Paul and says, my grace is sufficient, what he's doing is he's taking Paul and saying, you're not paying attention to who you are in me. 
And you need to wake up because my grace is sufficient for when my strength is, is made perfect in what? In your weakness. When you're down in the dumps and you got out, oh, the world is falling on me, or you're up in those clouds and everything's good, it's still His grace is sufficient. It's His grace that has made you complete. It's His grace that has blessed you with all. It's His grace that has given you all, all that Calvary, all that He accomplished at Calvary. When he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm not a man, I'm a worm. Psalms 22, okay. And he looks over there at the end and he says, it is finished. And Paul picks up on that and says, man, when he said that, it was done. And now through the special revelation of the given doctrine given to me, to you were, you know what? You were on his mind just as Israel was on his mind. And here's the information. He was rich. In John, he, he looks to the Father. John 17, he comes down. They're going on the way to the garden, and he stops and he prays the, the Lord's Prayer, John 17. And he says, Father, let me go, let's go back to the glory that we had before all this began. Let's go back to the glory before Genesis 1-1. Let's get back to the way it was, just the three of us. These people, are, you know. He looks at Moses and he says, Moses, I'm going to destroy them all and start all over. Moses says, you can't do that. you got a covenant with Abraham. can't do that. He goes, that one. You know what he did? He says, I set you up not to fail at every turn. Look at verse 11. Notice, notice what his grace does to make you complete, to be sufficient. Verse 11, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Circumcision just simply means the cutting away of the flesh. But watch, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So what did he do? We got our dude here. Here we go. Whoop, whoop. Here's that body, right? Here's you, the soul, the inner man. Here's your body. He comes in and he cuts that body, that bondage. Saw a great thing that had chains. And he cut that. He cut you loose. You know what that is? That's Romans 6. What's this old body been? It's been crucified. It's dead. It's been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. It's dead. That's why in Romans 12 he can say, present your bodies, which are what? Dead. A what? A living sacrifice. You go, huh? How does a dead man present himself live? Why? It's a different way of thinking, isn't it? Why? Because, because he has set us free from that. What has he given us? Life. A newness of life. Watch him do it. Verse 12. Buried with him in baptism. Baptism in your scripture simply means identification, to identify. Okay? You go through, there's, I know the books say there's like 13 different baptisms. Every one of them is the issue of identification. Identify. 
They don't always mean water, by the way. Okay? There's fire. There's Holy Spirit. There's all these different blood. There's all these different things. Oil, the anointing oil. Okay? That's what the priests were baptized with. But it just means to identify. And you, you know that because of John. Look over there at John. John 1, where the Lord is baptized of John the Baptist. Starts there in verse 28. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 31, or verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. By the way, it's not sins, it's sin. Got to catch that. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, now watch, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I coming with, uh, therefore I come baptizing with water. Why was Jesus baptized of John? John looks at him, you go back to Colossians 2. Why? He had to be what? Manifested to Israel as who? The Messiah. That's what he did. So baptism, uh, Colossians 2.12, buried with him in baptism. What are we? We're identified with his what? Death, burial, and resurrection. Wherein ye also are risen with him. See that? Death. There's a co-issue here of his death, burial, and resurrection. There's a conus. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance. We're in the family. How are we in the family? Well, his death became my death. His burial became my burial. His resurrection became my resurrection. You follow me? His grace set it up that way. By Colossians 2.12 through the faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead. This is all a, bi a big operation. But it's the operation of who? God. That means the moment you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you didn't feel this. This is a circumcision made without hands. This is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual operation, and it's the operation of God's grace. Here's what Calvary accomplished for you. Not only does he save you from hell, the lake of fire, but what does he do? He gives you his life. Keep reading, verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. That's Ephesians 2. Now your spirit that was dead is now what? No longer dead. Now we can have communication. Now we can have God's word come in. 2 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 2. Now we can have God's word come in and we can understand it. We can get it down in our soul. Our body now has been uh, crucified. It's been dead. It's dead. Now it's going to be alive unto, unto God. Our soul is now alive unto God. And our spirit is now alive unto God. And every aspect of your life is influenced by God and His Word to you as it applies to that. 
He's quickened you. He's made you alive. He's baptized you. He's identified you into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He's looked at you and said, you're mine. I, and there's a the verse over there in Timothy where he says, and the Lord knoweth those that are his. He knows you. You're in, you got an inheritance. Why? Because I have this identity. I've got this identity. And it's all because of his grace. That's what he calls. He says, my grace, Paul, my grace is sufficient. Everything you have cooking is because of what I accomplished at Calvary. And because you're in me and I'm in you, you get it all. The first guy to give it to, look, look there at verse Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him, through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. You see, this is the Father's doing. And you, being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. See, the Father does this, the operation of God. God the Father says, see how much I love my son? Look at what I did with him. And because you love him that much, and because you trusted him just as I did, your faith rests in him, I'm going to do what I did for him. I'm going to do it to you. And nothing in this life can ever take that away. Nothing can diminish that. Nothing can, can, can tarnish that. There's the power of Christ resting upon me, Paul, there in 2 Corinthians 12. You know, he says, I'm going to glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ, what's the power of Christ? Look at what the Father did for him and with him and through him. He's doing the same with you and I. Keep reading, verse 14. By the way, verse 13, having forgiven you all trespasses. Woo! Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified, we have, remember, peace with God. You know, He's forgiven you all trespasses. As far as the east is from the west, they're never going to meet. And you know what He says? You're no longer at odds with me. Boy, hallelujah. Woo! Man, to have an angry God against you is not a good thing. Then he says, verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, that was against us. So now he's going to take away the curse of the law. The law of the Romans 3, the law has made the whole world guilty, 319 and 20. You can't do it. You're guilty. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You, oh, you bozo, you messed up again. See, na 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 You know what he did? He took that right to Calvary and he paid it. He blotted it out, which was contrary to us and took it out of its way nailing it to his cross. doesn't say the cross. It says his cross. This is his activity. It's his doing. That's why I said to define grace, you got to get in there all that God is free to do to you and give to you because of the finished work of Calvary. It isn't just God's riches at Christ's expense. It's deeper than that. Then he says there in verse 15, and having spoiled principality and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Boy, we have complete and total victory. How rich you are in Christ. Everybody's worried about the market. Fed's going to raise the rate. Market's going to crash. They don't raise the debt ceiling. Market's going to crash. 
Whoop-de-doo. We're not to be entangled with that. I know that's my that's where I make my. I get it. I, I'm not saying you know, don't go all cash. By by the way, don't go gold. You need bullets. Okay, I'm serious. You think I'd laugh? You know, gold's only worth what somebody else is going to give you for it. It isn't worth two thousand or whatever it is. But a bullet will get you a lot further. Because they're going to want that. Because that will work in any, anyway. I got what out of that. That has nothing to do with God's grace. Okay. But what happens? You get all entangled in it. And you know what he says? What? What are you doing? Come over here. Come over to Galatians 2. That's what Paul tried to get across to the church at Galatia. To the church at. We are, so God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient in every detail of life. No matter what comes your way, you know what you're able to do? And he said unto me, I'm able to go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what's going on. I know your word has something to say about it. I'm going to go study your word. And Lord, make it jump off the page real quick because I'm struggling and I need it there. And you get into the study and six weeks later you find the answer. That wasn't very quick, was it? It's a light affliction, but for the moment, think it down through. Galatians 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. There's our identity. There's Romans 6. Nevertheless, I live. Isn't that fantastic? That's Romans 6. Hey, you're free. Galatians 2, 20. You're freed from sin. Why? And, and you've been... You're, you're baptized, you're buried with Him in death and burial and resurrection. Why? I have a newness of life. I have a life to go live. Then He says, yet not I. Our identity is not based on our performance. There's Romans 7. But rather what He accomplished. And the life which I, I'm sorry, not I, but Christ liveth in me. There's Romans 8. Christ liveth in me. Because of our identity, we are to go and live life. And it's because His life gets lived out through our lives in time. When we walk by faith and we begin to rest completely in His grace, when we walk according to God's design, His purpose for us, and we begin to understand that inheritance and who we are, and we drill down in that, we 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, we build that foundation in that wise master builder. We take Romans 16 verse 25 to 26, and we work that down into our lives. And when we do that, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, when I come along and, and I take all of that, I take the doctrines of Romans, which is really what Galatians is. They've messed up Romans' doctrine bad. Galatians is that book of correction on the doctrine of Rome, on the my gospel, on the foundational issues on the cross of work of Christ. And he comes in and he says, guys, you need to reorient your thinking back to Romans 6 and 7 and 8 and get in there and get the... Because when you walk by faith, you know what you're going to do? You're going to rest completely in His grace. 
And you know what you're going to say? Not I, but Christ. You're going to say, it's not me. Ain't no way. You know why? Because he loved me and gave himself for me. I needed his help. By the way, it's the faith of the Son of God. Not faith in. That's the new Bibles. It's the faith of. What, did the, what is the faith of the Son of God? What did he do? You go all through the Gospels and you went over and over. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's the great garden scene. But prior to that, he's already told the disciples, the works you see are not my works, they're the works of him that sent me. The words that I speak, they're not my words, they're the words of him, of the Father that sent me. You know what he did? He took the word of God and he obeyed it all the way down through that pertained to him. You know what you and I have to do? We have to say, and he said unto me. What does that word of God say to me? Pertains to me. So I'm not going to go back and name and claim something that doesn't belong to me. I'm going to get in that Romans to Philemon and I'm going to say this is what belongs to me and this is where I'm going to live and this is how I'm going to act and this is how I'm going to behave. This is how I'm going to raise my family next week's Mom's Day, Mother's Day. This is what I'm going to do. This is how, this is how I'm going to behave at the job. This is how I'm going to behave when I interact with people. And this is what I'm going to do. And when that doesn't work, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call a timeout and I'm going to go back and I'm going to get right back into the Word where it needs to be. It's called 1 Timothy 1, verse 4, godly edification. Come on over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's what Paul exhorted the Thessalonians here. Actually, he didn't exhort them, he praised them. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And that's the issue. It's believing the word of God. Believing what's going on here. We just have to simply rest and believe and trust that book. Because you know what he's done? He's set up our edification, that wise master builder. You move from infancy. In infancy, you have the believing Romans. And you move to the carnal Corinthians. There's the dirty diaper stage. Then you move over to the foolish Galatians. There's the young children. They know it all. Then you move into the faithful Ephesians. So you move into some maturity, into some adulthood. That brings us into the obedient Philippians. And that brings us over to the loving Colossians. And that brings us into Thessalonians, where they're the expectant Thessalonians, and that's the senior citizen looking for the coming of the Savior. You see, you're designed to move you through life. Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul is exhorting the Galatians to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Is God's grace sufficient? Oh, yes, it is. It will not work when you're trying to do it in your energy of yourself. It will only work 
when you say, not I, but Christ. Not that, this. And you reorient your thinking to here's what God's grace says, here's what the Word says, and that's what I'm going to go do. I look around the room, we're all at different stages of that understanding. Some get it, some struggle. Some get it, some struggle. <laughs> That's nat nat natural. The key, though, is a standing fast in the liberty. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has what? Made us free. He, also, he set us free from the dominion. He cut us away. That old body of bondage doesn't work. The Galatians didn't get that. They're trying to get back under it. Stay out of that. Say, hey, God's grace is sufficient. If it wasn't sufficient, he would have never said it to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. So obviously it is. And what makes it sufficient is I have his word. I can know his will. I know how he's operating today. And I can talk to him about it on a daily basis. Those things that we've been looking at. Brings me to conclusion of what? You know what? He's sufficient in everything in our life. And we just need to stand there. We need to relax and just be right there. Because when we're that, then guess what happens? Trouble still comes, but we're able to handle it. Good times still come. We're able to enjoy it. Nothing comes. We're able to enjoy it. <laughs> okay? So His grace is sufficient. We just have to stand in it. Learn it, get it, put it in, and then move it from our thinking down into our inner man and let it become the rule whereby we live by. There's a rule called the 100 hours rule I've been reading about. And it says that if you take 18 minutes a day for 365 days, that's 100 hours, you'll be more, whatever the, whatever the thing, playing the piano, you know, uh, whatever, mowing the grass, whatever. If you do it 18 minutes a day, every day of the year, it's 100 hours, you'll be more proficient in that than 95% of the people that live on the earth. That tells me we need to read three chapters a day. And we'll be more proficient than anyone else on the earth when it comes to his word. 18 minutes a day, you know what that builds into you? Dedication, determination. It builds in consistency. And that's what's required. Something to think about. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. That it is all sufficient that it is there for at every turn of our lives, good or bad, indifferent, different, because you loved us and you gave yourself for us. And because you did that, the Father, and we're in you, the Father then, has extended all that he extended to you to us in you. And we rejoice in that, we rest in that, and we say thank you for that. In your name we pray.